This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for November 17th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our Red Circle uh, website. You click the red button there and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to take time to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joining us always with the with our other host, Case Low. And Case, the 21st Kobe World Show has come and gone. Wow. Like, we saw this coming for, like, a long time. And now it finally has come. It's kind of passed. And I kind of feel, like, in, like, this weird wake afterwards. Like, it's a good wake, but I definitely, like, feel like that still in like this reflection of Kobe world. Like how, how are you feeling about this and how are you doing about everything right now? I think the fact that this week we get to review a show and not preview a show, it just, it feels good because I think we've been doing that cycle since the first week of September. I think Dragon Gate has been running a show every week since then. Now, all of the shows have been fun at the very least. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been great. The fact is we've been watching a lot of current day Dragon Gate recently, and it just feels nice to have the biggest show of the year finally. Normally it's the third week of July next year, as we'll talk about. It's the last day of July and the first day of August. Yes, two Kobe Worlds next year. But to have this show in November, we've been building up to it for such a long time. I mean, Mike and I had Kobe World on the brain in in May when Dragon Gate was running empty arena shows, and at that point, we didn't know if they were going to be able to run World, if they were going to do an empty arena Kobe World show, we didn't know what the possibility was. And then we finally find out it's moving to November this year. And it's just nice to be done with it. And it was a great show. Not as good as Dangerous Gate. Probably not as good as Gate of Destiny. But a very fun show with a very satisfying conclusion. And, you know, Mike, as, as the, the two dominant, predominant voices in Drangate, I'm very excited to talk about the show with you. Yeah, it's something that n- there are moments that, that peaked really high for me, but this was not a show like last year where we were talking about 2019 Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival as potentially the best Kobe world of all time. But this was a show that, like, after it was all done, it was all very satisfying. There was a lot of different ways that went on this that was... It was something that was basically a four-hour celebration of the Dragon System, as much as one can have in 2020. And I came away with this 
like just like after the show went off there this was like the one show a year i watched live and i never regretted it where in past i've regretted staying up late for shows this was not one and you know at the end of the show we had the big showdown setting up stuff for this which is a nice thing like we usually like at the end of kobe world like we have like the celebration and then everyone comes out in waves they set off the confetti and that's it no we're already full steam to final gate and it's a nice kind of weird change that we usually wouldn't happen here yeah i guess i can't think of a time where they have done an angle after the kobe world main event because typically it is a hard reset in prior years it was the summer adventure tag league in august which gave the champion you know a chance to team with somebody and reset or you know every once in a while they would defend the belt through the summer adventure tag league like yamato did in 2013 but it's normally a hard reset after that but they don't have that luxury because typically we're going from world as one of the big five shows in july to either late August or September for Dangerous Gate, but instead we're now a month away from Final Gate. They have to get going, and they have, as, as I'll talk about later on in the show, I guess we can start with the main event, but Ben K versus Shun Skywalker, which is a match that has been brewing for closer to two years now, going back to the February 5th, 2019 Cork and Hall show, in which after Shun Skywalker won the rookie ranking tournament, he pinned Ben K clean in the middle of the ring in Cork and Hall. Skywalker was the only guy to pin Ben K on his route to becoming Open the Dreamgate champion last year, which he won at Kobe World 2019. And then Skywalker lost to Ben K December 4th, 2019 in Cork and Hall. And that is what made him snap and made him go to Mexico. So we're talking about a Kobe World main event, which felt like a real definitive beginning of something new. Now, maybe that's not fair to say. Maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic because we said the same thing when Ben K won last year and then Naruki Doi beat him and then Ata beat him. But with all of the young talent on this show holding title belts at that, I really feel like we're on the path to a new generation of Dragon Gate and that is being highlighted by former Dreamgate champion Ben K versus current Dreamgate champion Shun Skywalker, which is happening at Final Gate. So in a sense, my review of the main event is more of a preview for what's to come. And, you know, like, I guess we'll work backwards here. So the main event was, of course, the Open the Dreamgate Championship match. It was Ada failing in a second defense to Shun Skywalker, who got the win in 20 minutes and 22 seconds with his new finisher, the SSW. It's this crazy uh, wrist clutch, a uh, pump handle, <laughs> uh, blue thunder driver that no one saw coming. Everyone was like, oh, that's a move, and the match was over, which I think hampers a little bit of people's uh, th- opinions about this match. I thought the move ruled. It's awesome. And that means that Ada failed in a second defense. Shun Skywalker becomes the 32nd Open the Dreamgate champion. And I talked a little bit about this on Twitter. I fired off a tweet when this first came out. Like, this isn't... They're they're treating this title reign by Shun Skywalker much more differently off the bat than last year in Benkei. Like, that was, like, my thing. Is like, they aren't, like, easing him in by, like, having him face Yamato at Dangerous Gate, you know, and then and then Masato Yoshino in his hometown. Like, they aren't, like, easing us in here. They're putting all the chips in and saying, all right, yes, uh, Benkei lost this title and main evented the show last year in Fukuoka, but we're doing this again, and we're doing this with, uh, with Shun Skywalker. That's going to be his first offense. If that is not a seal of approval 
or also just utter confidence in what you're doing out of a wrestling promotion in the era of COVID-19, I don't know what is. It's really bold, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think there were some people and some takes coming out of the show like, wow, Dragon Gate is, is now really getting behind their young talent. But if you've watched the promotion at all over the past year, the, the Ben K. Shun Skywalker main event is not surprising. That's what they've been building to in this entire year. Right. While there have been some surprises, like Kenta Kabune just dominating the way that he has, I'm not surprised by any of this. They are, are full steam ahead on the youth, and that didn't start with Kobe World. That was solidified in this show. That was, in a sense, guaranteed that they're sticking the course with these guys. But that's not new. I mean, that was happening prior to covid and then especially coming out of COVID, that July 4th and July 5th, those shows in Kyoto KBS Hall, it hit you in the face like, oh, we are doing stuff with the young guys right now. Yeah, and it's something that I somewhat touched on in a column I wrote last week for this match that the way that Dragon Gate, they needed to do this now. And they recognized it because of the the obvious rules of time. I mean, Masato Yoshino, we have now have a firm retirement date from August 1st of 2021, but he's the first that's going to go. And being able to get these guys in the mix where they haven't really done that before, when they got pushback from the fans, this is the time to do it. And you start at the top of Shun Skywalker. I went through as much as I could, and some of it is machine translated. I went through responses to the official Dragon Gate uh, Twitter account, not the English translation one, but the official one. And there's a sense of optimism about like, yes, no, this is a match that the most common response I said is like, this is a match that will level, that will raise the prestige of the belt. I think Shun gets, is going to raise the value of the Dreamgate title and everyone's bought in. And that's something that I did not see happening before. And it was one of the things that with, with Benke, like it was a big move, especially building him up with like pack taking off and, and not dropping a fall until that match. But this one is even more bold in a way and saying, no, these are our guys. We're ready to do this. It seems like that everyone's like adjusted to it and the fans are ready for us, but it's like this was a real delineation point, this match in the eras. I'll reference the column that Alan Cunahan, former guest of the show, wrote for the Pro Wrestling Torch website. Uh, it's it's on their homepage now. It should still be by the time this comes out, where he's introducing a new generation of Dragon Gate wrestlers, and he lists guys like Shun Skywalker, Ben K, Ata. Kaito Ishida, Coach Minora, Dragon Daya, and I, I think it's fair to throw in Kabune and even Strong Machine J into this. So that's eight guys right there. You know, you could you could make an argument that maybe J shouldn't be included, maybe uh, Ben K shouldn't be included, or Ata, who's 29. But I, I don't entirely know how to phrase this question, but, you know, we had the big six of Doi, Yoshino, Hulk, Shingo, Tozawa, and who am I forgetting? That's five guys. Hulk, Yamato. Yamato, thank you. So you had Tozawa, Shingo, Yamato, Doi, Hulk, Yoshino. That was the big six. And that generation had their first capstone moment at Kobe World 2008 when it was Hulk and Shingo in the main event for the then-vacant Dreamgate title. 
And it seemed like at the time, and Mike, you would be a little bit better uh, of a judge of this than me, just because you were living through that time period. But it was like, oh, this is going to be the new generation of Drangate, and you've got Doi and Yoshino tagging, Yamato's the hot prospect, and you know Tozawa in 2008 is a borderline comedy figure, but he obviously figured his career out. But the big six did not work at first. They had to revert course. They had to go back to Masaki Mochizuki and Shima being atop the card from the entirety of 2011 through 2013. And then we saw the big six with a few more years under their belt. It became what we know. It's Yamato's a superstar. Yoshino's a superstar. Shingo Tozawa. You know, all these guys kill it. It seems like, and we can't predict the future. We don't have that crystal ball. But it seems like this go-around of a generational swing is going better than the original Big Six attempt? Is that fair to say? Am I off base there? I, that's. I don't think you're wrong. Well, I, I think you you're know, wrong because... let me let me answer let me answer my own question and then I'll let you talk. I apologize. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I think a lot of it is going to depend on one if you include Ata in this list. Which now that I've said Ata, I honestly don't want to include him because he is of the millennials generation. He has what class six or seven in the Dragon Gate Dojo. I don't want to include him. So if you take out Ata, I think, yes, they are off to a more confident start. But we saw so many trials and tribulations with Ata that he is is the, the wrench in that plant. So what if I throw you, I'll give you, you know, the big six, and then I'll give you Shun Skywalker, Ben K, Kaito Ishida, Kota Minora, Dragon Daya, and Kenta Kabune. I'll give you those six to compare to the prior big six, if that makes sense. I apologize if that was confusing. No, no, no. Uh, first, Ada's a bridge to me. Ada was a part of a, a generation in the class that was between uh, Dragon Gate Neck, which Yamato and KZ were a part of, as long as well as Monday Ryu, by the way. And it, that's like a distinct different era to me. Like, like these are three eras that you're referring to in this. Uh, it's interesting because when you look at like the really young wrestlers, they didn't have the whole like preparation for them to really be on that level right like shun skywalker this was a second title attempt uh benke had two in the year previous ada got the got the key in his first attempt he's one of four wrestlers to ever do that and then everyone else like they've they're being positioned as this but they're not like stepping forward to that level whereas the big six did with the exception of tozawa before his excursion if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, like, there's not a lot of of big show main events, whereas you can go through, and even though uh, Kobe World 2008 was Shingo and Hulk, they were still, everyone was still getting Dreamgate shots beforehand. And they were in, not, ne- and even before, even, like, when they were trying and, they, and before they reverted, like, they still kept them in the main event. So, like, they, like, there's a reason why BB Hulk had, seven or nine dream keys before he won the belt like like there was like positioning for this whereas in this generation i it hasn't come to pass yet but it's not saying that it won't let's talk about ada for a second because we left i i we came into memorial gate in august where he won the belt august 2nd we came into that match thinking like man you know they flirted with h at the top of the card for so long we don't really think he's a guy though we don't think he is a 1a level player in this group and we left Memorial Gate, which, honestly, that Doi versus Ata match, as time goes on, might be my match of the year. And I left that show going, oh my god, Ata figured it out. Ata's going to be a guy. And what we saw was 
the definition, in my opinion, of a transitional title reign. He did not defend the belt for two months. He headlined a cage match show, which, you know, he obviously wasn't going to defend the belt there, and then has a KZ match at the beginning of November that had a gimmick finish to it, all so they could set up him losing to Shun Skywalker. And for as critical as I've been about H in the past, I've also given him the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time. And I think I was really expecting this Dreamgate run to make him atop the card. I thought this was going to be, okay, finally we've got the the proof I need that Ata is a legitimate main eventer. He can hang with these guys at the top of the card. And instead, that reign let me down. Now, I know the Voices of Wrestling flagship guys, especially Joe Lanza, he looks at Ata as a made guy. And after this reign, I just could not disagree more. I think this was such a huge indictment on Ata that his his taste of glory, this was almost a gold watch reign for him. I mean, he just held this belt so he could hand it off to Shun Skywalker three months later. And ultimately, Ata is not a failure, but it represents Ata's career. He's He's close, but he's not close enough. I kind of come down in between you two. By the way, I feel like that if we ever had like a topic show with Joe Lanza, that that would be really interesting because well, he was always pro Ata. He liked him in 2018 during the Dragon Kid feud, which I thought I thought it was just terrible. And I was really down on Ata at that point. And I'm hard on him because we've seen what Ata can do. We watched him in 2016. We watched him teaming with T-Hawk. We saw the Memorial Gate match. I know there is more talent in there, but he consistently doesn't meet my expectations. I think that in some ways this is a recognition for, hey, you suck with us. I think that especially if you look at uh, how people of his class and people of his generation kind of panned out, he is the one that stuck around in a lot of ways. (laughs) Like, I mean, Shimizu too. But, I mean, you look at who they're generational peers were i mean you have el Lindemann, you have t-hawk you have yosuke san maria you have yamamura and he's the he gets that there i i do think that it's going to be interesting because like the, the closest comp and it's something that i don't think that he's going to be treated like this is rio saito you know like coming in winning getting the huge push winning the belt and then immediately like cratering as you're winning the belt and then t- and then ripping the belt out of his hands at, before the not even getting a full defense, being the first zero-key defense guy. Like, that's where I kind of put it. Like, I don't think he's completely uh, Jag, and I don't think he's completely a guy. I think he's someone that will forever be, like, King of Gate, and he has a title mat. He has a, a Dreamgate reign, and I think that puts him above certain level of footing, but it does not make him, like, a made man in the way that in the Dragon System, there's not very many truly made men. No, and I think the advantage that Ata has now, now that he's won the belt, is that if a Kota Minora or a Dragon Daya, or even if Casey gets a rematch and beats him, I think that win registers as a big deal. I think the problem is that for me to really consider Ata as like a 1A main event guy on the same level as a Yamato or a Doi or a Yoshino, or quite honestly, I think Benkei. When Benkei is put in that position, I believe him as a main eventer. Ada is going to need serious career or gimmick rehabilitation. And I think part of that is going to come from him turning face, which I think will happen at some point sooner rather than later. 
and I think that will help. But this current incarnation of Ata, again, I, I don't think he's a jack. I think he is such an excellent professional wrestler when he puts himself in a position to be an excellent professional wrestler. I think the Saito comp, which is something that I did not think of, and, and Mike, I will applaud you there. I think Rio Saito is the perfect comp, not Team Boku Saito that we see now, but for those that have been fans of the product for a long time, I, Rio Saito in 2005, and I, I just rewatched all of this 2005 footage, Saito was the hottest act in the company. Saito was pinning Shima clean in singles matches, so it makes sense that he got that Dreamgate run, and then it just didn't work out for a number of reasons, because he's he's really hot from January through about August or September, but they put the belt on him too late, and by the time he gets the belt, he has cooled off. And really, the same thing can be said about Eita. I mean, he was... It's... It, it, for the Western fan base, Ato was the most popular wrestler in 2016 and parts of 2017. I know that he's a star in Japan, and I get that, but when I look at him, I just, I see what he used to be and what he is now, and I'm disappointed by what he is now, even if, even if I know that his Dreamgate run in the ring was not an embarrassment, that he held his own there, that his character work was solid. I just think the fact that he was such an afterthought holding the Dreamgate belt, a guy that leading up to that KZ match, you know, they're in tag matches on these smaller shows, and they're not even main eventing the shows. They're putting Yamato and Kai ahead of them. I It bums me out because I like Ata, but I just think that is such an indictment on who he is as a character and what his role is in this company, which was ultimately a transitional champion to give Shun Skywalker the belt. Well, I mean, here's something that just popped in my head. Think about where Ada was in 2018. And now think about where he is now in 2020. What has changed other than uh, championships? Yeah, I, w- w- what, I mean, what has changed? That's a good question. And, and I think that's, that's the thing there. And I think that his peak always would be as a star as a babyface if things would ever work out. And I think that... I, I'm on the same page with you. I think that we are coming towards the end of this three-generation warfare, and I think that after this, we'll see where he is. It's going to be interesting to see how this really shakes out. I think that the that might be a fun thing to do if things get a little slow and if some shows get kind of called off with how the situation now is in Japan. It might be a fun thing where like we, we take the chart, we, we get out the spreadsheet, and we kind of plan out where people end up coming out of this because I think we are coming to a close here. I think one of the big things is going to either be either an Ada face turn or an absolute turn on RED on Ada. I think it goes one way or another. I I can't tell. The I, I guess it's probably a good time to bring this up, but with the two worlds being next year, I kind of had a thought watching that video package. Like, I wonder, I wonder if they extend the generational warfare through July and they end it that weekend. It just seems like maybe with Yoshino going they can do a hard reset because it's going to be really tough for them unless they do what they did with Tozawa when he announced that he was leaving for the last month of Tozawa's time in Dragon Gate where he would team with the Jimmies or he would team with Dia Hearts or whoever was, Dia Hearts was gone by that point, but whatever unit was there. It, tribe. Tribe, thank you. That Tozawa would kind of bounce around units unless they're going to do that with Yoshino for a prolonged period of time, maybe, you know, May through July at dead or alive, or maybe things in there, 
it just seems like it's going to be hard to do a, a, a hard restart, get everybody into a new unit, get Yoshino into a new unit only for him to retire. I really think we're at probably the halfway point of this feud. I think we've got another seven or eight months of generational warfare to come. I just think that, well, here's my one piece of evidence that I don't think it's, it's still going in soon. Shun did not immediately go join the Dragon Gate generation. He's only now started to do shows and they're keeping him separate. No, I, I have a I have a theory on Shun uh that I can I can save as we move down the card. I, I believe I know what Shun's next move is. Yeah, yeah. Lone Wolf Champions, Binke was an oddity. It does not happen very often. Whenever it happens, there's very quickly usually a unit that comes out of it. And I just have to like look at things and think that's gonna happen. But yeah, let's get into the two since we're kinda of going a little bit on the biggest topics here before we get into the matches and we talk about the big one. Yeah, two Kobe Worlds. Um, I remember a couple of years ago. I just want to touch on this real quick, case. So that's okay. Oh, yeah, go for it. So a couple of years ago, I was talking with people, and we were talking about when uh, President Keto stepped aboard. One of the big things he said is he wants to find a way to do a Wrestle Kingdom of the West is how he phrased it. And for people who aren't really familiar with the geography of Japan, and are newer to Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate is based in the Kansai region, which is Kobe, where they have the big show year in Kobe. That's where their headquarters is. But also Kansai extends to Osaka, extends uh, basically to the, the remainder of the main island. And they wanted to do a big show there. I, I remember us talking about this this uh, this like press thing that he put out there about talking about what he wanted to do this term. And one of his big goals was this Wrestle Kingdom of the West idea. Like, yeah. And then, like, when I was talking to people, we're like, it's kind of hard if they're going to stick in Kobe to do this because, really, you get into soccer stadiums, and in July in soccer stadiums, you're not going to be able to get into soccer stadiums, really. A couple baseball stadiums, but those weren't really that good as well. A couple, like, American football stadiums. And then kind of came to the conclusion of, I don't know what they do because they're not going to go to the Osaka Dome for this. So... Instead of doing like this, like them going two nights here makes the most amount of sense to me. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, they had an issue getting everyone on cards here this night, so I wonder how it's going to be like in 2021. But I think the idea of one of them being the well, one of them being the Masato Yoshino retirement show on August 1st is the right move to make, and it all kind of lines up with how at least things, at least from like extrapolating the comment from President Kido. I think it was 2018 or 19 that he said it and taking it from there. Uh, what were your thoughts about this as well? I, I said this on Twitter. I think I, I tweeted it at Granite Kuma. I, I don't know why I remember that specifically, but I do. I was tipped off to the, the two world shows a little bit before the show. I think you were too. Uh, under normal circumstances, I would be a little bit annoyed as a fan. Now, the business sense that you just laid out, the business plan I get, and I support it. I don't have an argument for that. As a fan or as someone that covers this and just wants good matches and good stories, under normal circumstances, I would be a little bit annoyed at the two world shows. But we predicted all year that world would be Yoshino's farewell, and it just so happened that the pandemic hit as it was extending his career a little bit longer. So I don't mind the two shows, with one being Yoshino's retirement show. But if they continue down a two-world path in the future... I will be disappointed. Now, it might just, you know, make too much business sense for them not to do it. We'll see. I have a feeling come 2022, 
which is crazy to think that we're projecting that far into the future now, but that's that's the world we live in. I think we will go back to a one Kobe World show unless they really knock it out of the park and do crazy yeah. numbers on both nights, which I think, you know, the Yoshino farewell show it will be a historic event, and, and we'll do a lot of Yoshino coverage now that we know for sure when he's retiring. Mike and I will really be ramping up our Yoshino coverage within the next year, essentially. I think by this point, people have heard about my Masada Yoshino article. You are going to have to wait another eight months to read that. I will put it out the <laughs> day before he retires. Uh, but I, I don't mind it this year, and we'll see how it goes. But I, I just, I'm not into the two Wrestle Kingdoms, and I wouldn't be into two Kobe Worlds. Just on the simple notion also... That then, if you're going to do two worlds every year, then you either have to introduce a new title, which I don't think is happening, and I hope it doesn't happen, or you're doing some tournament thing every year, because it's not like Dragon Gate has an intercontinental title that can draw on that second night. The Brave Gate, unless you put the belt on Ultimo Dragon, it's not, it's not, the Brave Gate's not that belt, and look, Ultimo's not holding that belt, it does not fit the weight requirements anymore, so it's just, it makes sense for them from a storyline perspective to do the one night, but I understand business creeping in and saying, hey, maybe we can get a little more, a little bit more money out of this, so we will see. Just so that if people are really going to, like, oh, what are they going to do for this, like, big show after this, uh, that there's not, like, a basketball arena in Kobe that's bigger than Kobe World Memorial Hall. The place where the Oryx Buffalo play is a stadium. It is, you can't do it during, really during baseball stadium, Seats 35,000. That would be a tremendous bath. It just does not make sense. Uh, the one that probably could, that might be able to make it work in a way if they manage to pare it down and do this, is the soccer stadium because they have a J-League soccer team, but that also still seats 30,000 people. Like, that's why I say, like, this is the route. Like, I would not be surprised, and I totally get people's angst about it. It's just we might be living in a world now that it's more profitable for the company to run two of these shows. What I would like more so than that is do a Kobe World and then – later do another show at Memorial Hall. I think that would be a little bit less uh, constrictive in a way. If they were ever, I, I shouldn't say this, because maybe one of the young guys really catches on, but I I just, I know Dragon Gate well enough to say if they were ever going to expand Kobe World into a bigger venue for one year, it would be the Yoshino retirement show. So I don't see them moving outside of Kennan Hall anytime soon, unless something really changes. Because as Mike just laid out, just the the logistics of where they need to run and what is available to them, Cannon Hall makes the most sense. It's a shame. Like, if there was, like, an Osaka Joe or a Budokan in Kobe Hyogo, Japan, yeah, I think that they probably should have moved up to that for a while. This is that they are a Kobe company and they will always be a Kobe company. So it's just, it's a non-starter from the go run Osaka Joe for Kobe World. It just can't happen. Yeah. But would, let's get back yeah, to let's do it. All right, so semi-main event was the uh, three-way triangle match, triangle gate match. Uh, probably, I guess we didn't address this in the first half hour of the show. Uh, we had three people pulled off from Kobe World, and I guess I'll depart for this very briefly before we get back to the review. Uh, we had three people who were pulled for high temperature. Uh, no news if they tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Dragon Gate's uh, what they have as their um, protocol, to my understanding, is basically they do a lot of temperature checks and they will do antibody checks afterwards. I haven't heard anything about this, but Suji Kondo, who was in this match, got pulled from the show. Ultimo Dragon got pulled from the show, and Jason Lee got pulled of the show. So the uh, two uh, multi-man tag matches, uh, title matches, were 
Well, this one wasn't vacated, but they did have to vacate the Twin Gate title. So a lot of shuffling happened the night before the show. I think the big thing to take away from the absences on this show is that they did not change the results of the match. I think R.E.D. was winning the Triangle Gate match, and I think R.E.D. was winning the Twin Gate match, and the Taru side was winning the Taru match. So it's really unfortunate for a number of reasons that those are the three guys that missed the show because I think they were all positioned to do important things, but I don't think it altered the booking in a way... That was drastic. I think the the guys that need to win won, and and that's the story there. Before we talk about the Triangle Gate match, Mike, real quick, what was your star rating on the main event? I went four and a quarter. Okay, I went. I was at four flat. Yeah, I I having Shun back on that big stage kind of took my breath away, especially the one dive that he did that everyone was kind of like, uh, and I was like, oh wait, Shun's back. I was waiting for this kind of like flirting with disaster feeling, and I got it, and that gave me like a big like burst of adrenaline at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about that match in the in-ring of it so quickly, because I, I know we do need to move on, but yeah, Ada and Shun beat the shit out of each other, for lack of a better word. I mean, they really laid it in, and the spot that jumps out of my mind is not the dive that you mentioned, although that was insane, but Shun going for the moonsault and Ata kicking him as hard as he could in the stomach to counter it. This was a really intense physical match that lines up with my theory that is brought on by Shun Skywalker's success of this almost bantamweight style that Drangate has created where, you know, guys are smaller and they move around really fast, but they hit really hard. And that is something new for this generation that I am really into. Yeah. And another like big takeaway and probably why you walk away from this title reign with Ada being underwhelmed is Ada as soon as he well, he won the title by his own means, he didn't he waved off to Red. Then and then there was a lot of like Red stuff in this match. There was a lot of just like big dogging uh, where Ada basically was laying Red taunt and he was just just trash him and he was just taunting in the ring here. And I feel like that that's something that when they had their when he had that match with Doi, it was just like a singular performance there between the two of them. This one was more in line with how Ada is as a wrestler. And I think that's another reason why people are a little bit down on him. Yeah, it it bothered me far more in the KZ match than it did in this match, just because I kind of expected it to happen here. Whereas the KZ match, even though it was three months into his reign, it was his first defense. And the only thing we had seen was him shooing off R.E.D., in the doy match and saying, I'm going to do this by myself. And I thought that would be the tone of his Dreamgate run. And it was not that. So it didn't bother me here. It really bugged me in the KZ match. Oh, one last note that I have here. Uh, Shun did a BT bomb. That's funny. Oh God, that goes over my head too. T-Hawk's secondary finisher for a long time was the BT bomb. Oh, Mike, bringing deep cuts into the dragon system history. I I like it. Well done, Mike. I guess I was the only person because I like I did like the five emojis of the eye looking emojis thing. Like that's a little bit on the nose, or maybe he's just doing that now. But that was the first thing is, oh, that's T Hawk's secondary move until he had the Cerebrus. So yeah, well, well done. That went over my head, but that is you're right. Now that now that you mentioned that. Shun Skywalker did that move, and that is kind of funny when you think about it. This show also <laughs> happened on Shima's forty third birthday, and I will leave that there. Yes. There was another show happening in Osaka for his 43rd birthday, and I'll leave that there. And then we had the, this uh, this Triangle Gate match. It was a three-way match. The champions coming into this match were the RED team of Takashi Yoshida, Kazuma Sakamoto, SB Kento versus the Dragon Gate generation team of Binke, Yosuke Samaria, and UT. 
and then the challenger team from Torimon, which was billed as Dragon Gate, oh, Dragon Kid, Kagatora, and X. And X was Masato Yoshino. He pulled double duty on this show. The two falls, as we kind of were guessing, it's all about SPK in this match, as he tapped out UT with the SB shooter in 17 minutes and 20 seconds. And then he tapped out Masato Yoshino to win the match, 21 minutes and 6 seconds, with an SB shooter after one of the most brutal uh, powder attacks and uh, low blows I've seen in a long time. Now, Mike, you have the timestamps. We were watching this show live, and as soon as Yoshino entered from the entryway, I DM'd you on, on the Voices of Wrestling Slack, and I said, Kabune is submitting Yoshino. And I just knew as soon as Yoshino came out, that's what was happening. I think had Shuji Kondo been in this match, Kabune was going to submit Shuji Kondo. It's just, it's just, that's where SBK is at this point. That is his momentum. And I, I was trying to rack my brain and think of a more, not career-defining but a real stake-in-the-ground moment for a youngster in Dragon Gate, and I really couldn't think of one because I was trying to, like, my my comparison for SBK since he debuted, I think he's like Yamato, and I was looking at Real Hazard Yamato. What was the first title he won? Well, he won the Triangle Gate belts on May 14th, 2008 with Shingo and Gamma against Doi, Yoshino, and Hulk. Now, that is, that, that segment, that's a 16-minute match, probably a half-hour segment, that is one of the single greatest moments in Dragon Gate history. I think it's one of the best angles I've ever seen in wrestling, where Shingo turns on Hulk. So you can make the argument that's a Shingo uh, case there, but I actually think Shingo has, has done earlier, had done better stuff by that point in his career. So I couldn't even think of like Yamato's first title win. What's like his definitive win? So is there anything you've ever seen in Dragon Gate where one guy has just made his presence felt like SBK did here? I think it's Akira Tozawa's return from Excursion and Blood Warriors. There you go. See, I knew I was forgetting something. I I, I mean, and even that, that's not at Kobe World. That's at a Korkin. You know, but but then he went on absolute tear. Well, I I think that's because exa- Tozawa beat Shingo at World Eleven, didn't he? Uh, yes. Okay, so yes, that's a, that's World. exactly what it is. Was SBK winning the Triangle Gate belts at Gate of Destiny, and then winning here was Tozawa returning at Quark and pinning everybody, and then beating Shingo at World. That's the exact comparison I couldn't think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so like that's the realm we're talking about here. But even more so, I mean. We all know that Masato Yoshino is retiring, but we also know like how protected Masato Yoshino is and the fact that SB Kento, not even at his year anniversary, his year anniversary comes in December, has submitted the Dragon Gate icon at Kobe World is remarkable. It's, it's insane. I don't think you could make a big enough deal about it. It is a guy who was less than a year into his career submitting the most protected guy in the history of the Dragon system on their biggest show of the year, and they did it perfectly, because I think had he submitted Yoshino perfectly clean, it obviously would have been huge, but perhaps that now puts SBK at a point where he can't deliver on those expectations, but they do it in a way to where he cheats up to submitting Yoshino and then gets a valid submission victory on him. It was perfectly done. I mean, this was just... It wasn't a great match. I went three and a half on it. And I think had Kondo been in this match, it would have been a truly great match. But I'm okay with what we got because it was it was almost like a prolonged angle 
just to get SBK over even more. I mean, he was the sole focus of this match, and he delivered. And it's just, it's so great to see this 20-year-old Mike. He's younger than me. No wrestler is younger than me. I'm 21 years old, all right? I, I am fresh. I am young to this earth. And Kento Kabune SBK is younger than me. And he submitted Masato Yoshino at Kobe World. And it's something that I believe that this was not originally going to be a clean sweep by SBK. I believe that it would have been like Kondo putting out UT for the first fall. But they... This is them like taking the situation. It's like, no, we're going to make sure this guy's absolutely made. And this match was all about this. Uh, Binke was, in his exchanges, was pretty strong in this as well. But this is, we're now, like, this is a moment that, like, it's going to be like, oh, SP, SP Kento, Kento Kabune, his first Kobe World submitted uh, Masato Yoshino. Uh, it swept the match, submitted Masato Yoshino. This is something that, like, we talked about, like, the counting stats for, Ada, this is a counting set that truly matters in a way that it's hard to impart without sounding hyperbolic. And he comes away with this seeming like a bigger star in a match that they put a lot of weight on his shoulders. Like, to be fair, like the Dragon Sis the Dragon Gate generation guys, there's no doubt there. But you like look at all right, Masato Yoshino, like he he he's going as speed star because that's who he is. But I mean he's Someone that, I mean, like, he's not going out there like it's 2012 right now. And then his tag team partners as well. Like, this was a lot of pressure putting on SP Kento, and, and he came out of this, like, even higher than he was coming out of Gate of Destiny. I hope that we have not seen the end of the Dragon Kid, Kagatora, Shuji Kondo trio, because I, I hyped them up so much leading into Kobe World that Dragon Gate finally had a trio that was a junior heavyweight, a middleweight, and a heavyweight. I loved their chemistry together. I thought all three of them needed something interesting to do, and that trio was it, and unfortunately, we did not see them on the biggest stage in Dragon Gate because of Kondo's health reasons, which I hope he's okay. We have not heard for sure, but I hope... In the future, we see more of them, because I thought that team had excellent chemistry. And right now, the Cosma Yoshido SBK team, Sakamoto and Yoshido and Yoshida do their job, and their job is staying out of the way, and they do that well. So I, I am really happy with the Triangle Gate division right now. Yeah, and I could very easily see them maybe deciding, well, we'll have that trio go up against them in Fukuoka. You know, like, that's still on the table. Oh, Absolutely. And then we get into the third title match on the show. This was a decision match as they, in Dragon Gate, for new listeners, if a match is announced and it gets changed and they vacate the belts, it's a decision match. So Jason Lee and Kota Minora vacated the titles. So this was a match decided the 50th open the Twin Gate champion team. This was Yamato stepping up. He was originally in a kind of peculiar six-man tag that now became very clear what it was that on the show but now uh, he stepped in to team with Kota Minora so he can get his hands on BB Hulk and Kai BB Hulk and Kai as we expected got the win here uh, Kai put out Kota Minora in 15 minutes with immediate impact Kai it, it it was fate Yamato could not be in an unimportant Kobe world match I talked about last week how weird it was he was in that trios match, and God did not want that to be the case. So he subs in for Jason Lee here. It's a real bummer. Jason Lee, who is getting what will be the biggest push of his entire career, wasn't able to be in this match. It sucks. I feel bad for him. He seems like such a nice, hardworking guy. I wish he would have had this spot. 
I will I will give you the positive and then the negative. The positive is this match was great. Kai was terrific. I like BB Hulk. I, I People are really down on Hulk right now. Look, he's not what he was in 2010, but I don't know what you want from him. I think he is a still a competent wrestler who plays his role well. Yamato was good. Kota Minora, I mean, holy shit. I, what a talent. And this is a guy who was two years into his career, and he's only 21 years old. And it almost feels like he and Dragon Daya, who are these youngsters who de- debuted in 2018, all of a sudden they're old news. All of a sudden they don't matter. They're, they're yesterday's topic. But Coach Minora showed that he is just, uh, he is a guy for the future. I mean, he is really someone that I think is showing at least the talent to be in the Dreamgate conversation later on in his career. And I thought his chemistry with Kai in particular was outstanding. We've talked about it on the show before. BB Hulk clearly likes that kid because Hulk uh, jobbed Dakota Minora twice on TV when Minora was building up to his Twin Gate Challenge in August. And even in this match, Hulk gave Minora so much. There was clearly some sort of working relationship there. So I went three and three quarters. I thought this match was very, very good and the finish was satisfying. The bad news is the result, and that the trial or the I'm sorry, the Twin Gate belts are now on BB Hulk and Kai, and so with the exception of the brief Lee and Minora reign, we are at two years of the Twin Gate division being dominated by some combination of BB Hulk, Kai, and Yamato, and I know they're talented guys, but I'm just over it in the Twin Gate division right now. And I thought Jason Lee and Coach Minora were really breathing fresh life into that division. And now it's all gone. And it's it's just a bummer because I think we're going to get more, you know, Yamato against, you know, I guess Yamato challenges. I know the KZ match is coming up, Yamato and KZ versus Hulk and Kai. That match should be excellent. But quite honestly, I just don't care about it all that much because I'm so over Hulk and Kai dominating the Twin Gate scene. It's the biggest blemish in Dragon Gate's booking right now. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And it's something where it's kind of like the deck that they that they that they built for themselves. You know, this is the hand they kind of dealt in a way that you have Kai turned, so Kai is going to have to be involved at a certain level, and this is the level he's been at. And then you have Hulk, and as much as people like, I I think we all know what the deal is with Hulk by now. He's someone that can turn it on still. Like he had that Yama Hulk reign that it was really like one of the highlights of the year when it happened, but then you just have this and it's just like the thing that just like kind of gets me about this is that Jason Lee didn't get to have his moment and that that's what bums me out. And even if it was going to go to like Hulk and Kai, like we were expecting, it just was like, I was really hoping for this. The match itself, I went four flat on it. I thought that this was basically a way of just Kota Minora selling for basically 15 minutes in a way. Uh, as tired as Kai and Hulk and Yamato around the Twin Gates are, I was losing my crap laughing at just how much like Hulk and Kai just were trolling before the match even started. Like six, they, they spent about like a good solid four minutes out on the ramp to the point that like 
Jay and Ho Ho Loon, who were excellent on the call on this night, uh, where it got to a point like, all right, they're still out there. (laughs) And that cracked me up. Uh, This was just like a really great like match set set up of like Kota Minora like selling his ass off and then tagging in for Yamato. Yamato goes on a house of fire and then eventually like gets kind of it tags back out to Minora where he gets like a flash and then he immediately gets beat down a lot. Huge pop out of the crowd for Minora kicking out of the first Meteo Impact, by the way. So all this work setting up uh Kota Minora and changing his trajectory paid off. So I, I enjoy this a bunch. It's just like he, he, you hit the nail on the head about like we're not getting a lot of freshness in the Twin Gate scene when it felt like that for a few months we were getting that opportunity to have a new look on a division that's been dominated by a few people. In a vacuum, it's a really good match. It's just I don't like the booking that surrounds it. And then we had our special six-man tag team match. Uh, Punch Tomonaga got moved into this match because Yamato got promoted up. It was the uh, T2P team of Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, and Toru Owashi, who is freelance. I thought he was DDT. He is freelance. Going up against the uh, Dragon Gate Generation team of KZ, Strong Machine J, and Punch Tomonaga, Yoshino got the win right after his and his retirement tour was announced with a Sol Naciente in 14 minutes. And, you know, this starts the official retirement tour. Yeah, it's nice. You know, I was thinking when we were talking about the main event and about Ata. Doesn't it seem like they've really cooled off on Ata being the one to end Yoshino's career? They have. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wonder if that is just as a result of the pandemic. Because, I, I, I mean, they kind of went back to it. Uh, they were doing it on the empty arena shows. But I think once they came back with crowds, that idea was pretty much dropped. And I wonder if then they knew that they were doing the double world and that Yoshino was retiring next year. You know, as for the match, it was just a lot of punch Tamanaga. I mean, this match was weird anyways. When it was KZ, Strong Machine J, and Yamato, it was weird. When punch was in the match, you know, after the uh, the substitutions, it was still weird. It was just, it was a lot of Tamanaga on a Kobe World show, which, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It was a three-star match. It wasn't bad. But, you know, what, what else, what am I, supposed, am I supposed to say about it? It's punch Tamanaga. Yeah, I mean, this was a lot of punch and uh, versus C2P. Strong Machine J, he, I think he's decided that the best way for him to to not have to be have constant upgrades is to just get thick, and it looks good on him. You know, like, it didn't, like, was any detract. Like, that was the thing I was watching this match is how much have they really cooled off on Strong Machine J given his health history, and seems like he's things are going to keep on going for Strong Machine J. It's going to be real interesting to see how he does when he steps into year two, though, or year three, really, because, you know, he just kind of was in here. KZ was kind of in here, and it just really was T2P versus Punch Tomonaga. I thought it was fun. The positive of it being a lot of Tomonaga is the fact that his best chemistry is with Naruki Doi, and that goes back to his historic debut match, November 19th, 2011, the Blood Warriors Doi Darts team against Punch, Gamma, and Sachihoko Machine, which is one of the best matches in company history. We went, I think it was the first show we did, maybe there's the second show in August, where I ran down literally every single great Punch Tamanaga <laughs> match there was. So don't think I'm shitting on him. No other podcast will devote as much time to Punch Tamanaga as I will, okay? I listed literally every single good match he's ever had, and most of them have been against Naruki Doi. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, we went about half an hour on that, didn't we? It was a long segment, Mike. It was a long segment <laughs> was... for not a lot of matches, mind you, but it took a long time for to not get a through. Lot of... 
<laughs> took a long time to get through. A match that did not take a long time to get through was the special singles match. How do you like that transition? It was excellent. Like a uh, broadcast <laughs> professional. Subscribe to the Everything Elite Patreon for more of that. I'm a professional broadcaster. I, I'm, I'm going to add that to my list of nicknames I don't ever use. Uh, <laughs> it was the singles match. This was the uh, the first conflict, really, the first uh, one-on-one contest between Dragon Daya and Dragon Inferno, or Daya Inferno. Inferno got disqualified in five minutes and two seconds after mask ripping. And we got a superstar entrance for for Dragon Daya. Like, like he got his musical artist come out and perform, the one that you skipped over and. <laughs> On the Yoshino uh, homecoming show, but that was really it. And Inferno's singles offense is pretty rad. He goes super indie. It, it kind of works. Look, I I have a feeling some people are going to fade this match when they review it. They're going to think it's a waste of time, or they don't want the non-finish on a Kobe World Show, which, look, I get that argument. I was bummed by the finish also, but the five minutes of action that they had was so electric, and their chemistry was so good, and Dragon Daya who I've said consistently all year is the most exciting wrestler on Earth, with the exception of now maybe Shun Skywalker. I, look, they can take their time. I think we were at a point watching the uh, the televised shows where we thought, you know what, they should probably wrap up this Die Inferno at Kobe World. I think we've seen it. I think we've seen all we're going to do. Uh, look, after watching this match, they can let it play out as long as they want. I am so into this. And while I did not like the finish, while it bummed me out that they did this on Kobe World, I'll deal with it. Because I, I was, I mean, I was at four stars in my mind going higher five minutes in, and then the non-finish happened, so I didn't throw a rating on it. But their chemistry is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I did throw a rating on it, even with, like, a non-finish. I went three and a quarter stars for a five-minute sprint, basically, and it was excellent. You know, like, it worked out very well, and I was someone that I think out of the two of us, I was a lot more cold on this feud seeing how the crowds were, but with like this ring work and with all of this and with how Daya is being presented and how Inferno keeps up his end of the deal and I and like this, I mean, this was going to happen here. It, this was never going to be the end of the feud. And that's why like naturally I was like, oh, it's going to be a mass grip and it's either going to be a mass grip win or a mass grip DQ. And we got the mass grip DQ. It was really entertaining. I, it, you know, I talked about this in my review over at voicesofwrestling.com. It seems like they're treading towards mask versus mask at Final Gate, which if they do that, great, and I would support that decision. And I think that is a match that could go on underneath Ben K versus Shun Skywalker, and it would not overshadow the main event. It just does seem weird that they would do two mask versus hair or mask versus mask matches in Fukuoka in three years because Final Gate 2018 was headlined by a mask versus hair Dragon Kid Eita match. So it would be strange going back to that well in the same building again, but I think that's what they're going to do, and I'd be okay with that, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something that, you know, doing that at Fukuoka, it still feels weird, like you're absolutely right about it, but it opens up the rest of the card to have other stuff that I can see. Because if not, you're going to have like some sort of like uh, another clash between these two. Like these two guys are going to be tied to each other at the waist until this this feud's over. So if it's going to end there, it makes sense. And I think whoever is under that mask, I think we're positioning Dragon Daya to have a career long rival. So whether it's the Daya Inferno character or whoever is under the mask under a different name, I think we're going to see a lot more of these two together in the near future. At some point, though, the mask has to come off, and, and we'll see what happens there. But I, I was I was really happy with this match when things were all said and done. 
No, me too, me too. Um, then we get into one of the uh, more uh, interesting matches on the show. I'll say interesting. It is a special eight-man tag team match. This was the match that originally had Ultimo Dragon in it. Uh, Ginky Horiguchi stepped up for match three to fill out that team. It was Ginky Horiguchi, Masaki Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and the returning Taru versus Susumi Yokosuka, Yuzushi Kanda, Kaness, and Taru Nohashi representing Michinoku Pro. It was Taru with the Taru Driller in 13 minutes and 9 seconds on Kaness. Look, this match was not good, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't offensively bad, but it was not good. But you need to understand why this match happened, and it's why I am going to be far more patient with this match than, say, the Voice of Wrestling flagship guys are going to be. And they have every right to hate this and every right to shit on it, but I think you need to understand that this match was not for the Western audience. It wasn't for the new generation of Dragon Gate fans. It was for Torimon fans that might have been in the building because Ultimo Dragon is now back on the roster and because Taru had not wrestled for this company since 2004. And when he left, he left on really bad terms. All right, Aganisu, Shuji Kondo, Brother Yashi, those guys, they left on bad terms, but Taru left on really bad terms. So this match, while it was not good, and while Taru has never been good, it needed to happen. It's an important and pivotal moment in the President Keto and Ultimo Dragon era of this company where they are looking to mend old wounds. Now, that doesn't mean that this match needed to go as long as it did. It could have been cut down. And that doesn't mean that Taru needs to be brought back ever again because he does not need to. But I will take this for one night in one match if they want to have Taru come back so he can get his moment in front of the Dragon Gate audience that is fine, and I'm okay with that, and I watched this match. I love Taru Nuhashi. I want that guy back. That dude rules. But in the big picture, while this was a long segment, and one if, you're, if you did not watch the show live and you're listening to us for recommendations, you can go ahead and skip this, but I think people need to understand why it happened before they tear it to shreds. Yeah, and... As someone who right now is looking at a Crazy Max shirt on the wall of my office, I know this match was not for me. This is it's just not that, and that's fine. And with how things are, with with how like with how last year was with Ultimo coming back into the company, there there is a definite course being set. There's definite an idea of, for lack of better words, a reuniting the family, and this was. This was the uh, uncle that no one really liked, but you have, but and disappears for a long time. But you eventually like, okay, we've got to get over it. Like he is our family. Like this is what this was. You, you know what it was? It was like a retirement match. And complaining about this match would be like complaining that Nakanishi's retirement match wasn't four stars because this right, right now. Yeah. Now look, if Taru comes back. Even if it's just so we can get his moment in the ring with Ultimo, which I don't think will happen, but I can't rule it out because Ultimo was supposed to be on this match but then had to pull out of the show. If he comes back, shit on it relentlessly. I don't care at that point. But I'm treating this match as if it were a retirement match, and I think it would be wrong and weird to complain about the match because of that reason. Yeah, I feel like that would be intellectually dishonest of us, personally. The two of us, other people, completely understand, completely justified, but... Us knowing these things and following these things and covering these things, it had its purpose. Taro Nohashi was awesome. I want Taro Nohashi to come back and just imagine, like, he was really good on the Toriumon reunion show. 
just imagine like Toru Tarunoashi versus like uh, Diamante. I want to see. That. I wish they could come. I was thinking if we get Nohashi versus Kame on some weird Bayuden produce show, I'm all about that. <laughs> Bayuden returns again. <laughs> again, we, we might need one. I think it's Bayuden returns again, again. I think they've returned already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need one Powerball, and then and then slide into Mochi's DMs and get this thing. Uh, I'd be more than happy it. to do that if I get the Powerball. That's that's you know I got student debt. Maybe 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 that'll be gone soon. Uh. But if I get the Powerball, I'm immediately sliding into Masaki Mochizuki's DMs. What I mean, what else am I supposed to do? I I, I mean, it, it it's going to be this promotion be be pretty much for a certain group of people. But it'll be a promotion that in 15 years, in 2035, people will be like, you know what? Those like weird Americans who ran a podcast who won Powerball and decided to have a random 200 uh, attended show in Shinkiba put on by Masaki Mochizuki. That show was the show. It would be the Velvet Underground of produce shows is what I'm saying. I think that's a great comp. Uh, I, I was watching this match, and <laughs> again, I was really unironically enjoying what Nohashi was doing. And Mike, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I am going to float this idea out publicly that once we finish okay. our Dragon USA Rewind and Rewatch series, which if you're a new listener to the show, every week Mike and I are reviewing a Dragon USA show until we finish. It is an exhausting process, and it is a lot of fun to do. After we take a little bit of a break... We might have to do Torimon X, because there's, what, like five Torimon X shows? Let me pull, because I saw you making this tweet before. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew that the- It's like, I, I have seen I have seen more Dragon System footage than most people. I think that is a safe assumption that I have watched more than most. I have seen literally zero Torimon X. And I know there's one match on the Dragon Gate Network right now, Kagatora's debut. I haven't even seen that. So it's something that I, I, there's not a lot of it, and I've seen none of it. So I would like to rip that Band-Aid off at some point. Well, I actually was watching Tori Monax for John Carroll's and Mukaze uh, Patreon. We did do the uh, op- the uh, main event of the first show. So, yeah, you know, it's five, it's four shows. There's only four of them in May tape. Uh, I, I think that would be a good, like, bridge into, like, a next big project because... This is when we we crank out in a month. This is like Torimon X well, month and that, that's that's probably that's probably what we should do. The the other thing it, it, as we do a production meeting on air is we're getting to the point where T2P is going to start hitting the Dragon Gate network. So that's probably something we should at least make a note of is hey, we've got a chance to go through all of the T2P that's out there and do a really detailed and proper summarization of it, but we we have to finish Dragon Gate USA first. And that's the important part. That's the important part. And if you jump in now, you have a you will have about approximately ninety hours of content to get through. And it's it's well, all well, evergreen, you know. It's I, I it's again it's it's all Dragon USA from the start. We give a timeline of what's happening in the wrestling world. We give a timeline of what's happening in Dragon We give a timeline of what's happening in the U.S. indie scene, and then we talk about uh you know Pinky Sanchez. It's fun for everybody. <laughs> it, I was going to start calling this series the uh, Hardcore History of Wrestling, but I don't think I could ever hear Dan Carlin talk about Pinky Sanchez whatsoever. <laughs> so, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. <laughs> and match three was a match that was affected by the changes. Originally, this was going to be Maraha Asapa, uh, Ginky Horiguchi, and Rio Saito versus Takedo Kame and Madoka Kakuta. Instead, they promoted Boku R. Shimizu. So it was a Team Boku. Uh, Shimizu and Saito versus Class of 2020. It was Class of 2020 coming up with the big win on the big stage as Madoka Kakuta got Ryo Saito with a hand of God 
the rolling lariat cratered him in eight minutes and 26 seconds. And let's hear it for the boys. Let's hear it for the the young men on their first Kobe World show. The class of 2020 went 2-0 at Kobe World 2020. Look, let's hear it for the boys. Uh, Saturdays and Sundays are for the boys. Kobe World is for the boys. These guys killed it here. I'll let you talk about the in-ring because I want to pose the question to you. I and I, I don't even say this in a fantasy booking way. I, I think this is what is going to happen, that we are going to see Kame and Kakuta join up with Shun Skywalker in the near future. It, it, am I out of my mind for at least thinking that? No, I really like it. And I like it for a couple of reasons. Uh, they have been really uh, focused on keeping Class of 2020 separated until SPK happened. Uh, you can't, you're not going to do another Lone Wolf Champion this soon. And there's other people who are unaffiliated who could fit in just as well. I think Masaki Mochizuki, you add them to it. That's a pretty strong foursome. And you can play off the fact of Mochizuki Dojo and then like the inspiration thing. And then who would be my fifth? Because you want to have another person there. Because now I'm doing now not now I'm doing Shadow. The thing I proposed earlier on the fly. Maybe we've got Ga- maybe well, Gamma and Mochizuki and Jimmy because those are all unaffiliated guys yeah. right now. So you could you could extend that a little bit. Now Skywalker and Mochizuki have some history that would maybe prevent them from being in a unit. But I think you have enough warm bodies at least to get you through generational warfare without them being a generation-specific unit. Right, yeah. And I think that you could probably have some way of Mochizuki saying, you, you went your own path, now you're champion. Someday we will face off, but for now I'm with you. I could see that happening. That seems like a Mochizuki kind of logic thing. And if it means getting a Skywalker-Mochizuki rematch after their King of Gate match last year, I am all for it because, my God, that match was unbelievable and just uh, just so underrepresented in last year's match of the year voting. But I digress. Yeah, but we digress. But yeah, no, that's what what I really want to see out of this thing because Kamei and, and Kakuda, like we've been we've been this, been on this for a while. These two guys, they had a more of a grindy match, but they came out at the end of it. Shimizu had great chemistry with them. They did not really play this up for Boku jokes, which was my one worry when this got announced. And it just was like exactly the kind of matches that they've been having across the uh, country over the since coming back from. Uh, closed doors and Kakuta like the finishing stretch of Kakuta missing the first uh, hand of God and then being able to come do a jackknife pen and then doing exchanging uh, exchanging uh, pen attempts and then getting the deep three count for the last one for Kamei and thinking okay that's your big yeah, that's your big near fall but then Kakuta just coming out of nowhere and just decking Saito and getting the win off it was just like a great like 30 second finishing stretch that really put everyone's skills on a display there. Yeah, the finishing stretch is unbelievable. It, it is just everything, everyone in this match did something they do well in the last 30 seconds or so, and it is such an electric finish to a point that I went three and a half on it. I went three and three quarters. Let's go. Love this match. I love I, I love your enthusiasm, Mike, quite honestly. I love like when like and this is the thing that like really like led me to write this article not to do like my not do like an editing meeting after we did a production <laughs> meeting but it's something where like we've seen like their talent there now really on stage and their talent development for like the last four years really since the class of 2016 and like having the courage and saying like the the usual young line structure does not apply here is such a bold move that's going to pay off dividends for them because 
Kakuda has a pinfall on his first on his first Kobe World against a former Dreamgate champion. Like it is Rio Saito, and we talked about Rio Saito as a champion before, but it means something, and it's something that like now we're getting to a point where Command Kakuda, if they keep on stringing together wins, they probably deserve a Twin Gate shot. I, I agree, and I think the, the fun thing about Kamei and Kakuta is not only that they're these young guys that have a ton of momentum, but as a tag team, they are a lot of fun, and they have chemistry as a team outside of their own individual talents. So I, I think, you know, it's not impossible for them to get a Twin Gate shot on a Corkin show, or I, I think Final Gate, I mean, if they get a Twin Gate shot on Final Gate, I mean, my God, the confidence Dragon Gate has. I, <laughs> I, look, I know I made a big point earlier in the show about, like, guys, this is what Dragon Gate does. Like, of course they're pushing the young guys, but if they give them a Twin Gate shot on Final Gate, that will even surprise me a little bit. But there's always the possibility, again, we don't know when Fujikawa will return, but I'm hoping that it's soon enough to where we can get Kakuta Kamei and Sora Fujikawa against Kazuma Sakamoto, Takashi Yoshida, and SB Kento, because I think there is money to be made with that match right now. Yeah, that would be pretty exciting. But yeah, this is a match that is, it's going to be really fun looking back on this match in a couple of years. Like this was like that kind of a cool match. I mean, under 10 minutes, hit all the notes. It was almost a four-star 10-minute sprint in a way. So it was just a really big blast. Uh, the Battle Royal case, I'm just going <laughs> to... It, this is the match that felt most of the things they were pulling people out of this battle royal. No one was added in. They just had less people. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Arakan. You're doing something in Tokyo. You don't need to come by. We're good. We're, we're, we're going to go for what we have. We appreciate it, though. Uh, Super Shisa, Konamao Ichikawa, soccer, uh, former soccer, uh, Sachioko Boy, Gamma, Problem Dragon, Diamante making his in-ring return after his elbow injury, Hyo, Hoho Loon, and Jimmy. Ho- Hyo did it. He finally is like, he, he won on the big stage. He won the battle royal. He gets to make an entering wish related to his choosing. However, he has chosen that the RED strategy was whoever won this thing, they were not going to use it immediately and they will be announcing it as a unit. So Ho-Ho Loon, so Ho-Ho Loon lost this match and immediately went to commentary in the middle of this match. Just was like, a, it, it was one of the battle royals that, you know, I didn't think overstayed its welcome. And we got a lot of Ichikawa acting like an idiot, which is why I won at a Kobe World. This match, if you're if you haven't seen the show yet, you have to make time for this match. And I mean, the battle royal is fun. Obviously, I would have had Super Shisa shoot on everybody and win the battle royal, and then lay out Shun Skywalker at the end of the show. But you know, we can't all we can't all get our wish. But watch this match. Watch it with the English commentary. You know, Jay is saying some inside baseball stuff that is very funny. That it just that that entertained me. But Ho Ho Loon making a beeline from the ring to the announce table upon elimination is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, it was so genuinely heartwarming that this dude didn't go to the back. This dude, as far as I know, didn't get a drink of water. He got thrown over the top rope. It was like, all right, time to go Time to go to work. And then went to the table and joined Jay in the middle of the match. And I, like... It was so. <laughs> it's so good. It's so it's... funny. It's such a strange and pure way. I honestly <laughs> loved it so much. And their chemistry as a team. Look, it's so good. I, I mean, I when I turn to my observer ballot this year, I'm voting Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, and Jay Church in that order for best announcer because I really feel like Jay has over the past year become an excellent play-by-play man, and you know. 
Lenny Leonard is not on the list because I, I Lenny hasn't called any shows this year, pretty much. But the fact is, Jay has become a really, really good play-by-play guy. He is the perfect voice for this product. He knows what he's talking about more than me and Mike, more than anybody. Jay is the the heart and soul of English language Dragon Gate coverage, and now he gets to do it for the company, which is just so tremendous to see. And Ho-Ho Loon, is he a good commentator? I'm not sure, but he genuinely, unironically, adds to the product, because whether he means to or not, he is so funny behind the booth. I mean, just just give a sense, folks, of like, this isn't like that he just like walked over the table. Do you know where the English announce table was for Sunday? I don't know where it was on Sunday. I know it is always in the, like, tucked away in a corner when they run these right, big yes. shows. Yes, it is. It was on the floor behind all the seats. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he had to walk through all of that to get to it. That's why it was so funny to me, because it wasn't like he, this wasn't like a, a cringe WWE thing where, like, the announcer gets announced, he jumps in the ring and jumps back out. This was, like, a walk of shame that Ho-Ho-Loon decided to make. No one would blame him for, like, taking off, like, a match and being like, you know what, I'm going to go clean up, I'm going to get get on my ring gear, I'm going to get a glass of water, I'm going to get a snack. No, he went there in the meeting of the match, and when asked what his dream was, what his wish would be, it would be to end Corona so that uh, so that Lenny Leonard and that Larry Dallas could come back over. That was his wish. He's so pure. He's got to think of something better. He's really, he's got to use more imagination. I mean, it was... Like, that's what I thought of was the Royal Rumble spot where they bring out JBL or the King from the announce table and, you know, they they come in the ring, they get thrown over the top rope and they go right back. That is a not funny comedy spot. What Ho-Ho Loon did was genuinely hilarious on, like, a legitimate comedy scale. It was unbelievable. I was so floored by it when it happened. It was so good. And, I mean, yeah. Like, I'm just... I had to take a moment to compose myself. That was so funny, (laughs) just thinking about it. Like probably like the most unironically funny thing that that, that has happened in wrestling this year is ho loon getting eliminated and it wasn't like he got eliminated like towards the end of the match he was not one of the final three people he was he was eliminated early and with and just immediately went to the table and called well, the rest he was of the match like the mid pack it was the least convenient time for him to get to the table because if he gets thrown out first all right yeah go call the rest of the match but he was like mid pack to where he's there calling the finishing stretch. It was just, it was so beautifully done. Go watch it. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Diamante came came back from his elbow injury. Somehow he was able to get, did he look even more, like, jacked than the last time you saw Diamante? Because he looked like that is a guy who is in the best shape of his career right now. He looks good. He looks really big. It's good for him. <laughs> he looks good. He looks big. <laughs> I mean, those were my takeaways, too. And then we have the opener. It is going to be on YouTube, I guess, until perpetuity, both with Jay's commentary and with Japanese commentary. It was the Open the Brave Gate Championship match, match four in the feud, but match three with title matches. Keisuke Okuda versus Kaido Ishida four. Okuda got the win in 10 minutes and 26 seconds with the rear naked choke. It was his first defense. Oh, I mean, what more can you say? I think we've exhausted ourselves on this feud. I'd like to apologize to Kaisuke Okuda. I predicted he'd lose at Gate of Destiny, and then I predicted he'd lose here, and he proved me wrong both times. It was just, it's unbelievable. I mean, these two are just second to none. It, it, it's something where, like, the way that they, like, set this up, so at Gate of Destiny two weeks ago, it was that he went to sleep. This time, 
Okuda completely was like, no, you're not going elsewhere. And he had to give him, he had to quit. He had to lose the feud. He made the conscious decision there that, you you know, it, it, it's the amount of thought that they put into this feud, realizing, okay, we're not, he's going to, that Ashida won during the empty arena shows with like a whole R.E.D. shenanigans thing. And then Okuda finally getting his one up and he, he makes him go to sleep. And then he actually gets the, you, you know, I mean, it, it's a bigger thing, at least, like, in combat sports, if you get, like, the tap out versus the person who doesn't tap and goes to sleep. Like, this was, like, a big moment for him, like, going, like, oh, I beat you in this feud. And after a match where they just go all out for 10 minutes. It, it was almost identical to the length of the Gate of Destiny match, and it was identically as good. I mean, I went four stars on this. I, I can't... It four stars sounds like an insult. It's not. I love this match. It's my feud of the year. I think every step of this feud was booked to perfection. If comp DVDs were still a thing, Ashita versus Sakuda in twenty twenty would be worthy of its own comp DVD. I, I I just I'm out of words for it, Mike. We've talked about this feud every single show we've done since March, since the first Empty Arena show. This has been a reoccurring topic. I am finally out of words for it. All I can say is this match is for free is free on YouTube. Go watch it, okay? I that is all I can do at this point. Yeah, yeah. This is the hey, uh, Tiger Driver. Uh, make a music video about this. What? Like this feud is worth it. This was the perfect encapsulation for it. You know, the right way to start off. I was four and a half on this. I know that I'm higher on these matches than you are. And I so love the matches. That's it's that's you know the, right. the dichotomy that we're in here. But yeah, no, go. It's for it's free on YouTube. Go watch it, and we'll be done talking about it because this should be the blow off. This should be the blow off, and you know, I mean, it means bigger things. I think Ishida is going to really play into whatever the unit, uh, whatever the the shakeup that happens at the end of this uh, generation war. I think it's coming a little bit sooner, but he's it's time for Ishida to get bigger and better things. And I'm stoked to see where this goes from for here. I think it'd be really cool. I agree, and that uh that caps off Kobe World. I know last year coming out of World 19, we talked about how it was one of the best shows in Dragon System history. I think it was up there with Kobe World 2005, Kobe World 2011, Gate of Destiny 2015. It was in that upper pantheon of shows. This show was not, but I I enjoyed all every second of this show, even the Taru stuff because of reasons I explained. This was just a really fun show with a great opener, with a great closer. It felt important. It felt big. It had the pageantry you would want from the biggest show of the year. I look other than the Twin Gate Division complaints that I have, which are minor. This promotion is really firing on all cylinders right now, and it's great to see because people are paying attention to it now. It's really nice to see. Yeah, and it's something that like my overall takeaway from the show. Game back to big takes here. Um, they did everything they needed to. They made someone. They made two people, to be honest. Like SP Kento and Shun Skywalker are made. We have a great direction and a bold direction for Final Gate coming up in December. And, you know, you look at the rest of it, and not a lot of surprises there, really. I mean, a lot of the surprises were changed, I guess, because of COVID like or COVID concerns. Like, they that they were able to not have to kind of rebook the show on the fly more so than putting plugging people into big matches. But, you know, this is the one show a year that I always make time to watch live like if it happens so so far that like i'm up early one day that there's a cork and i'll watch the rest of it there but this is the biggest show of the year in dragon gate and it felt like the biggest show of the year god 
thinking about 2021 case, if we get this vaccine, I'm going to probably try to make my way to Kobe for, for two shows, man. I mean, that, that, that's, that's like a full on like festival there. And one thing to touch on before we get out of here, unless you have any other big thoughts was that attendance was 2386. I personally was expecting anywhere from like 1900 to 2100. So getting close to 2400, which is more than half of what they had last year in Kobe world. And it'll be the biggest show in the year of the year. That's not going to be a bushy road show attendance wise for the remainder of the year. And I think that it was just a success across the board considering that. Yeah. I I'm not going to break down COVID attendance, but I think that's very interesting that they drew as well as they did. And yeah, as soon as they announced two Kobe worlds, I, uh, I, I really want to be there. I, I don't know or really even think it's possible for me to do that. But if it is, I will be there. It's, I'm glad they're doing this for Yoshino. Like, I guess the kind of typo on this, like making this, like looking ahead, like he is the person in the company that unless Ultimo is going to retire like this, and I think if Ultimo retires, it's not going to be in Kobe. It's going to be in Tokyo. Well, and, and an you know? Ultimo retirement show will be different because you're going to have Sayama and all of his old luchador friends. Sasuke. And, and Nozawa is going to be on the show. Like, it's just, it's just... It, like, like I hope Ultimo retires where he can still work at the level he is now because an Ultimo retirement show would be like a Tenru retirement show where it would just be so many names from so many different eras and promotions that it would be so much fun. But a Yoshino retirement show, it will be the first Dragon Gate, Dragon System guy that is a major star that is retiring because you've got guys like Anthony W. Mori that retired and you've got guys like Akira Tozawa that have left, but Yoshino retiring someone that has been true to the dragon system, his entire career. We haven't seen anything like it before. And quite honestly, Yoshino's the biggest star in the company. So his show, his retirement show deserves top billing like that. I'm thrilled they're doing it. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how things come together for that. And, you know, it's going to be interesting looking at the rest of 2020 for Dragon Gate. Uh, they have a tour. There's not going to be another televised show. So so just for something, I just kind of like doing this just in case we have new listeners. They don't televise all their shows. It's not a New Japan thing. So they have one more televised show this month. It is in Sendai. It's where uh, Stardom ran last weekend, by the way, Case. Uh, Stardom did not do well there. <laughs> but it'll be the Sun Plaza. We'll, we'll do a more thorough breakdown next week and then... From there, it's the end of the year. We are getting a Boku Rumble happening at the next Kobe Sambo Hall show. That's something that's going to be weird, Case. Okay? So, uh, I don't know what that will be. I don't know if this is going to be like Doi Dart, so this is going to be like the Kira Jazawa Treasure Hunt match. It's going to be weird, though. It will be weird one way or another. I think that is a safe bet. So, yeah. We will be back next week previewing Gate of Origin, and uh, we'll probably find some other topics to talk about because we, uh, after, like, this is the wild thing, kids. Like we were talking about, like how this the, this month is going to be, but now we're in like two weeks of dead. That's okay. We've earned it, Mike. We have earned it, as have the Dragon Gate wrestlers. We've earned this break an equal amount, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just as much as Masato Yoshino, you know, with his back, we we put in the hours here. We need this. Time I don't. Off. I my voice is killing me, Mike. We recorded the podcast before this. I I'm I'm tapping out. I'm out of gas. All right, so that's going to do it here. Follow us on Twitter. We are at Open Voice Gate. We 
just crossed 500 followers on that account and i know case was live tweeting i was chipping in where i can we try to be like the one-stop shop of dragon gate content for western uh fans there follow case at underscore in your case follow me at fujiheya uh check out the reviews there's a lot of content that's been up on voices of wrestling over the last pretty much month that we've really kind of put our heart and soul into and we hope that if you're a new fan you go back and, and visit it and you know keep with us on this but for case i'm mike and we'll catch you next time open the voice gate take care what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.